Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, and we have a fantastic final pre-draft guest for you guys today. We have Ricky O'Donnell of SB Nation. He is a writer and editor there, and honestly, Gavin, one of my favorite draft guys out there, and he always brings such interesting insight. What are we talking about in this first part of this two-part episode for draft day with him? Man, just a, a pleasure of a guest and a pleasure of an opening topic. We go deep on the reports from Ian Begley and others, including uh, the man himself, that Jaden Ivey to the New York Knicks is a distinct possibility. What makes Ivey so great? And is he worth the Knicks giving up the house to go get him? Then we get into Ricky's most underrated prospect, the guy who's moved up the, the most for him throughout the draft process, the guy who's moved down the most for him throughout the process, and so much more right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks. Your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Right now. Starts with a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up, up left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. He's cut. And he's Anthony for three. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. We want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day, whether you're checking us out on your favorite podcast platform or you've made the jump to YouTube so you can see our beautiful smiling faces every day. We appreciate you guys making us a part of your daily routine. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Nick's site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. And by the way, if you want to go to that URL, there's a lot of great draft content you can read up on today if you want some last-minute stuff. And he is Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. And as we said, we are joined by Ricky O'Donnell of SB Nation, one of our favorite guests to have on this time of year. I won't hold this up anymore. Let's get right into this Jaden Ivey discussion. All right, as promised, we are joined by Ricky O'Donnell. You might know him as a writer and editor at SB Nation. Does a ton of draft work there, including being like one of their top uh, draft writers on staff. And Ricky, we always love your your opinions about the draft so much so that we managed to snag you twice for this draft cycle. And we're super excited to have you on as like our last guest before the draft here uh, uh, to give some insight on these prospects and everything else. How are you doing with... Uh, right on crunch time here. It's I was talking before the show. It sounds like it's a uh, heck of a week for you this week. Yeah, busy show. week, but I feel so lucky to do it. I love the draft. I've loved the draft since I was a little kid. So to be able to do it as part of my job is super fun. And this class in particular, I think, was one of the most fun drafts to cover for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's just like having four guys who have a case as the number one overall prospect is pretty fun. And in this class, I feel like everyone who's evaluating it is sort of planting their flag with one guy. It's like, okay, this is my number one overall player. So to have four worthy options for that is uh, pretty unique in terms of the last few, you know, several drafts. And then it was cool to see all of them compete at the college level too, just like fitting into those traditions and those programs. There's no like one right way to enter the NBA, but next year's draft as I've already started doing some 2023 prep. I think, you know, the top four prospects, are not going to be college players. So uh, it, it was cool just having Jabari Smith at Auburn and Chet Impalo at Duke and Gonzaga and then Jaden Ivey 
uh, at Purdue was uh, was pretty excellent to see all those players just every on an every week basis in college hoops. Yeah, it's honestly it's uh, something that I hadn't really thought too much about, but it's actually a pretty college heavy top 10, 15 even this year. I mean, there's there's not that many guys that are really kind of disrupting things. I guess you could say Shaden Sharp because he didn't play in college, so he's sort of coming right from high school. Dyson Daniels has risen up out of the Ignite, but really not not too much going on on the international front in the, the lottery range in this draft, depending on how you feel about like Usman Jang and, and guys like that. So, yeah, that is kind of interesting. This is like the, uh, the blue chipper draft here. Um, speaking of blue chippers and speaking of one of those guys you just mentioned, there's been rumbling uh, late Tuesday afternoon trading up uh, to the number four pick the Kings currently possess in an effort to select Jaden Ivey. We had, uh, I'll just give a couple quotes from uh, Ian Begley, who writes about the Knicks for SNY here. He said in a uh, small column today, as of this moment, mid-morning on Tuesday, I believe the Knicks can get up to number four to select Jaden Ivey. Then said people in touch with Sacramento say that in the club's conversations with New York, the Knicks have talked about offering multiple first-round picks in a package for the number four pick. I don't know which players were offered, but it wasn't enough to lock a deal in. He also mentioned potentially uh, Quentin Grimes, Emmanuel Quickly, and Obi Toppin uh, being on the table to potentially move up to that number four spot and select Jaden Ivey. So I think the question here uh, that I have for you, Ricky, is if a package like that is on the table, and that's like, I mean, that's not nothing. You know, even if the picks have protections on them or whatever, I mean, we've seen star players go for less than three first-round picks, even with various protections on them. Uh, Do you feel strong enough about Jaden Ivey as far as star upside potential that you would feel comfortable making a deal like that if you were the Knicks? Yeah, I do think Ivy's ceiling is definitely star level. And, you know, from the time the college basketball season started, he was someone who just very much uh, caught my eyes. Like, all right, are we going to be looking back at this draft 10 years from now and be like, this dude was obviously the best prospect. He's sort of like a six foot four version of Donovan Mitchell when he's at his best. So explosive with his first step so fast in the open floor and a really skilled finisher around the rim. So I think Ivy has a sky-high ceiling. I also think he's probably the most likely out of the top four to fail to live up to the hype. Part of that is because he's the smallest, and it's just easier when you're six foot ten or taller like the other three guys. Uh, and also Ivy, you know, he's someone with very sharp strengths, and then he has room to grow in certain areas too, I would say. You know, most notably just at like the second level of the defense – He isn't a super skilled floor reader yet. He doesn't have much of a mid-range game. But what Jaden Ivey can do is hit the gas. And when he hits the gas, there's no one who can stay in front of him. He has a pretty incredible ability to control his body at the rim and uh, finish from a variety of angles. So uh, I think Jaden Ivey would be worth a bold trade-up for the Knicks. I think every team should trade up for Jaden Ivey, quite frankly. Like, if I'm the Pacers, if I'm the Wizards, I'm offering everything I can to get Jaden Ivey. Now, of course, I also think the Kings should just take him and then figure out the fit with De'Aaron Fox later because I do think the drop-off between Ivey and the fifth-best prospect in this class is a steep one. So uh, the Kings are in a position of power right now where they have Ivey if they want him. Or they can put that, you know, that pick up to the highest bidder and 
I think I saw a rumor today that the Pacers were potentially maybe going to offer, you know, Chris Duarte in six and maybe Malcolm Brogdon. Like, that's a pretty good package. If you're the Kings, I would still take Ivy. But, uh, you know, can the Knicks beat that? I think it would take something like 11, a future Mavs pick, probably not going to be super high. And then where it really gets interesting is if the Knicks are going to offer one of their future picks. Because with the Knicks, you never know when it could go sideways, even if they put protections on that. Uh, you know, that would really be an all-in move for the Knicks to trade, you know, maybe a top three protected 2024 pick or something to move up to get Ivy. But you know what? It's a risk, but I would do it. I think Ivy's just got – he's just got star qualities written all over him, and uh, he just does some things you can't teach. And the areas where he's weaker, I believe, are easier to improve in. So if the Knicks want to make a bold move for Jaden Ivy, I think that that would get him very high marks in my eyes. Or we'll be right back in. We'll finish up our Jaden Ivey discussion and get into some other players that Ricky loves in this draft, including Jalen Dern, who he has remained very high on and could potentially be there for the Knicks at 11 if nobody else goes pure center. But I get to do my favorite opening to a read that we get to do most of the time. Boom shakalaka. We have big news. The one, the only NBA Jam is back. Arcade 1UP, the leader in at-home retro arcade games, is not only bringing the best game ever back, but they've made it bigger than ever with a wait-for-it Shack edition machine. I am a huge NBA Jam guy. Always have been. If I ever go to one of those like retro arcades, the first thing I always do is either find the Papa Shot machine or the NBA Jam machine. I might have a bit of a basketball problem. That's okay. That's why I host a basketball podcast now. But you can jump clear across the court and set the ball on fire in NBA Jam. If you've never played it before, it was one of the first sports games ever to feature real and digitized NBA licensed teams. There's no fouls, no free throws, and no quarters required. That's, uh, of course, the physical quarters, not the quarters in the game. They do have those. NBA licensed <laughs> and, and all your NBA licensed teams that you want. You can compete with friends and family through all new Wi-Fi leaderboards, making you more connected than ever. Pre-order now from Arcade1Up.com. That's Arcade1Up.com for an estimated early September ship date. Arcade1Up is the place for fun. They've got even more classics like Golden Tee, Mortal Kombat, and many others starting at just $399. And check this out. They're giving away an NBA Jam Shack Edition to a Locked On listener. So enter for a chance to win a game console for your man cave at arcade1up.com slash locked on. That's arcade, the number one, up.com slash locked on. You've got until July 8th to enter to win an NBA Jam Shack Edition console. Don't miss out. Enter today. Who are you going to play with? Better be the Knicks. We're, what do you think it looks like if Jaden Ivey succeeds in the NBA, obviously? Because we've heard the Russell Westbrook comparisons. We've heard the Ja Morant comparisons. And I, I guess where I get caught up, I mean, specifically when you compare and contrast him with Ja, is the relative lack of production compared to someone like Morant, who, if I'm remembering correctly, was like top five in college basketball and scoring an assist. And you, you could throw a million caveats on, caveats on that. Obviously, Morant was playing lesser competition. Purdue's whole system and offense was a little weird in that they were running through like multiple like 6'11 plus centers and, and had a lot of other talent on those teams. But he, he wasn't a, a point guard in college, which – I think immediately differentiates him from someone like Morant and maybe puts him in more of a Russell Westbrook like group. What do you think are the differences between those two guys? And is it maybe even more of like, this is a weird name to throw out for a guy who's defined by his athleticism, not his shooting. But um, I was just, I was just listening to Steve Kerr on the low post and he was talking about 
how Steph Curry, he thinks, was almost a better player for having not played point guard at Davidson and playing off ball while still sort of honing those point guard skills. In the meantime, do you see a scenario like that where it could be the best of both worlds for him? Or if he is a point guard in the NBA, what is how does that translate and, and what does he need to improve on to make that kind of work? So I don't like the Morant comparison, even though it's easy to make. I think Ivy and Morant have known each other for a long time because Ivy's mother, who's the current coach of Notre Dame women's basketball, she was an assistant coach with the Grizzlies, like as recently as two years ago. So it's kind of cool that Jaden Ivy has this coach's son tag, but it's his mom who's the coach instead of his dad. And actually, a similar story with Victor Wembanyama next year, whose mother's also a coach. Uh, so I don't like the Morant comparison, really, because as you mentioned, Morant was just a brilliant playmaker at the college level. Yes, he was playing in the Ohio Valley, but he had a 51 or 52% assist rate off the top of my head in college. Jaden Ivey was like sub 20%. He was like 19%. So like you said, he was not playing point guard at Purdue. It was killing me while watching him. I'm like, just give him the ball and get out of the way. But while all these draft analysts are like criticizing the Purdue offense at this stage of the process, all right, guys, Purdue had the number two offense in college hoops last year. They were a great offense. The problem was defense, and Ivy, some shortcomings on that end, contributed to that as well. Maybe there's another aspect of the Morant comparison, because Morant's not uh, two skills as a defender at this stage either. But when I think about Ivy, I think that like where Ivy is at his best is when... The, the reads are made a little bit easier for him. So like when he's coming off a dribble handoff or something, like instead of, uh, let's say, initiating the offense out of a standstill, I think like when you get him on the move and his reads are just a little bit like uh, laid out more clearly instead of like, oh, I'm going to manipulate this guy with my eyes to, you know, free up the corner shooter. Like that like next level playmaking stuff that you often see from Trey Young, from Luka Doncic. I don't think Ivy has that gene uh what ivy does have is he can just burn anyone to the basket and he can finish really well at the basket so if i'm getting ivy i think for sure you want another suitable playmaker next to him to help him run the offense i don't think he's like a Cade cunningham type where you're just putting the ball in his hands from day one and saying you're making all the high leverage decisions i wouldn't do that at the start of his career he as you mentioned was primarily off the ball as a shooting guard with Purdue this past year. And they ran a lot of sets for him that were reminiscent of what like the Wizards run for Bradley Beal in terms of like having him loop around multiple screens, catch the ball on the move. And you know, when Ivy already has a head of steam when he catches the ball, it's just game over because no one's gonna be able to stay in front of him. So in terms of a comparison, I mentioned a bigger Mitchell before and I'm gonna stick with that one. I like that more than comparing him to uh, John Morant. I like that more than comparing him to Westbrook because who can you possibly compare to Westbrook? I mean, he was just such a singular talent in so many different ways, good and bad. So I like Ivy uh, with the Donovan Mitchell comp taller than that. But, uh, you know, I think the perfect place for Jaden Ivy is at a place where you already have another capable playmaker next to him. And that's why the Pacers seem like the most obvious destination for him. You got Tyrese Halliburton there. Ivy grew up in South Bend. He went to Purdue. His mom was a legend at Notre Dame, won the 2001 National Championship there. Uh, and that seems like the most obvious fit to me. But, like, everyone should be trying to get it. And that includes the Knicks. Yeah, I'm with you on the fit there with uh, Indiana, potentially. And I think the Knicks could have a similar thing on hand with quickly and Barrett. Like I think that Ivy just presents a really good 
complementary skill to those two where those two kind of are both like crafty players that get inside to generate their buckets just through, you know, like lower speed moves, you know, not to say that they don't have any burst to get by guys or a good first step or whatever, but, you know, they're mostly getting to the rim and, and stuff like that on guile and, and, you know, just skill plays. Whereas Ivy can literally just turn on the jets and just rip right by you. Uh, I also, the idea of Ivy and Obi running the break together is just like, <laughs> it's like two, what, or like a running back and a wide receiver, both stripping down the field together. I don't know, like the right reference there, but like, I mean, they're, they're both just so deadly in that scenario that I, I think they would make a great combo there getting out on the break together. So I think there is something to be said, like the Knicks present a really good fit for Ivy, but to your point, I think there should be no fewer than like four or five teams that are calling up Sacramento trying to make this deal because Ivy presents a good fit everywhere. Like you can't have too many, you know, super fast guards like him in this league because there's just only so many guys that have the physical gifts to even have that. And then on top of it, have the skills. So it's, yeah, it's, well, you know what, Ricky, I'll just ask real briefly before we move on to the next thing. So let's say that, that you're the Knicks and the Pacers come at you and they say those three first round picks. So let's say it's like, like 11 this year, the Dallas pick next year and the Knicks own pick next year with like, I don't know, maybe top three or top five protection or something like that. Plus like Quentin Grimes. Do you pull the trigger? I think I'd do it. Yeah. Also, I face no ramifications for saying yes to this. Like, <laughs> if I get it wrong, I'm not getting fired and no one really remembers because I'm just some guy. So you can see why NBA teams would be more risk averse than people like us who can just go up here and say, yeah, go get Jaden Ivey. That seems dope. But I would do it because I have Ivy third in this draft. I have had a Jabari Smith, who's going to be the number one pick, it sure seems like. I just think Ivy's got star written all over him. He could flame out if he doesn't improve at the second level of the defense. But the thing is, he's able to just bend the defense so easily with his first step in the open floor. People are going to say he's a terrible defender. I actually think he's got some skills defensively. I think he's he's going to be a better defender in the league than people thought he was in college, mostly because for whatever he lacks in technique, I think he has – just the physical traits to recover and to like wipe things away just by being so fast and so long. There were some really impressive defensive moments on Ivy's tape this year, even though Purdue was obviously a very poor defensive team. They were like outside of the top 100 in defense and a top one or two offense the whole year. Uh, so I think that that is sort of stuck with Ivy in terms of his reputation defensively, but I think Ivy's great. I think the Knicks should trade up to get him. I mean, it's scary for sure as a Knicks fan to give up a top three or top five protected pick, but you know, I'd probably do it. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm with you too. I mean, it, it sort of comes down to at a certain point you got to take that risk on someone or something. The that player in free agency isn't really obvious at that point. That player in a trade isn't really obvious at this point. If the Knicks continue on their current trajectory and and their their last thirty plus years of lottery luck, they're not going to have access to a guy with Ivy's ceiling. Like this sort of feels like the window, and and you don't make this move or you're not able to make this move. I mean, it, it might not come up again for a couple of years, and that feels almost melodramatic because obviously you could always throw together three first round picks and and, and a nice young player and, and get something really good. But if, if Ivy's that guy, you kind of you kind of got to take that chance. I, I guess, Ricky, because you, you just I, – I, I saw you just tweeted out a couple hours ago your, your final big board, um, and it, it's, a, it's a long process, right? Like, unlike some people, you're someone who 
dives in year round. You, you follow college basketball uh, at one of the higher levels of anyone covering the draft. Who is the guy coming out of that whole process? Or at least I'll, I'll frame it as uh, post NCAA tournament who kind of taking that second glance back, relooking everything over has moved up the most for you um, over the last month or two. There's a lot of guys who fit that description. I would say the guy who's the highest for me is Jalen Duran. I have number five. I think the fifth spot is where there's the most debate in this class uh, because the top four is the top four. And then after that, it's anyone's guess as to who you think is the next best prospect. I love Jalen Duran from Memphis. Uh, I think I had him ninth on my preseason board. Every year I'll do the board the day after the draft. It's coming for 2023. So you can check that out on SBNation.com. But Duran, it's like, okay, so he's a little short as a center. He might only be 6'9 or 6'10. He didn't measure. He can't shoot threes at all. So, like, why do you want a short center who can't shoot that high in the draft? Well, I think he has tremendous defensive versatility in terms of being able to play multiple pick-and-roll coverages. He's going to be good at drop no matter what just because of his length and his ability to, like, close the gap between himself and an offensive player. But I was really impressed going back and watching more film on him with him with his feet on the perimeter. And I think he's someone who could like play at the level of the screen and still execute his assignment. And I think he can switch a little bit too. And uh, what sort of separates him from your typical rim runner and rim protector is that I think he's got real ball skills and real feel for the game. So in addition to you know having more defensive versatility. Then let's say someone like Mark Williams from Duke, another center, projected in a similar range. I think Williams is almost exclusively going to be a drop center, which is good, and he's going to have a solid career playing drop in the league. But just being able to play multiple schemes I think is so important, especially when you get deep in the playoffs. So I like that for Williams. And then in terms of the ball skills, you know, he only threw like maybe 10, 15 passes that were really impressive this year. But, but man, those 10 passes were pretty great. And I think that he's got – Serious potential as a short role playmaker. You got to factor in that he's the youngest American player in the draft. He played AAU last year and then reclassified late in the process to go to Memphis. So I like his short role passing potential. And I think he might even have some untapped upside as a like mid range shooter as well, because he was doing that quite a bit on the EYBL. And then just like the raw power is just like absurd. Like he has a grown man's frame and strength already, despite being so young. He just, plays with so much force around the basket. So Duran is the first guy I'm going to name in terms of a guy who I consistently got higher on as I went back to watch the tape. Uh, I also really liked Marjan Bocamp, who I put 18th on my board. I think that might be a little higher than consensus, though maybe not really. I'm not sure about that. Uh, but what's so cool about Bocamp is, again, Great physical attributes, 6'6 six, six wing, I think 7'2 wingspan, very strong frame, so strong and long wing defender. He couldn't shoot threes, and that's something that's typically like, okay, you know, how much utility can a role player really have if they're not a reliable catch-and-shoot threat? But, man, you watch the G League Ignite to mostly see Jaden Hardy this year, and as you're watching the tape, you're like, ah, maybe Dyson Daniels is the best player. Ah, maybe Bo Camp's the best player. And Bocamp just really impressed me. For someone who, you know, will likely be available outside the top 20, I think that he could very easily have a similar impact to Daniels. Uh, what I love about him, in addition to the length and the strength, is just awesome athleticism. And 
Uh, he's someone who wins with his athleticism in a lot of ways. I think he's going to have switchability defensively. I think he's going to be someone who can wreck a lot of havoc in terms of forcing turnovers on the defensive end. And then while he can't shoot threes, he was really good as a two-point shooter. I want to say he was like 58% inside of the arc. So he's got some real touch, I think, when he gets on the move and when he's attacking the rim, he's going to kill it in transition, which I like. Uh, and, you know, he took such a winding road to the draft. He's a little bit of an older prospect, but basically he was a top 50 recruit out of Seattle, decided to like take a year off instead of go to college to like just train for the draft. Then the pandemic hit, the training thing he signed up for sort of fizzled out and he went to community college just to like keep his skill sharp, play for a little bit, ends up going to the Ignite. He was a huge question mark. No one knew what to expect from him and just high motor, Length, strength, great defensive intensity, athleticism. So I really like Bo Camp as well. That's another guy I'll name that I got consistently higher on the more I watched. So alternative to that, uh, throughout the process, who are uh, one or two players that you've gotten consistently lower on throughout the process uh, as you've as you've watched more tape and maybe seen stuff from the combine and and you know that sort of thing. Good question. Okay, I'm going to say Malachi Branham a little bit. For a point, I was like, should I have him as a lottery pick? I mean, maybe the Knicks will take him at 11, and he could end up being a very good pick. You look at his numbers on the baseline level, and they're super impressive. I think he was 40% from three. His pick-and-roll ball handling numbers were really impressive. On Synergy, I believe he was at least in the 90th percentile in pick-and-roll ball handling opportunities. But not a great athlete, just in terms of, like, being a run-and-jump explosive athlete. He's not going to beat anyone just with, like, his speed to power. And in the Big Ten, you have all these, like, plotting centers who exclusively play drop coverage. Perfect for someone like Malachi Branham to rise up in the mid-range and splash a little 15-foot jumper. I just wonder if that mid-range game that was so impressive at the college level is going to be able to translate to the league. And then when you look at his pick-and-roll playmaking skills, like, he never struck me as someone where the eye test backed up the numbers. Like this guy is just a maestro at manipulating the defense and being able to find the open man operating out of a ball screen. Uh, again, I think that that could partially because of the, be because of the defensive schemes in the Big Ten. And then also like there's just a higher threshold of athleticism you need to hit to be able to do that in the league. So I'm a little lower on him. And then another guy I'll say I got a little lower on is Ben Matherin from Arizona. Thought he was an absolute killer during the college season. Picked Arizona to win the national championship. I'm sorry if you took my advice on that because they lost pretty early. But the more I watched Arizona, I'm on the verge of a hot take that Dalen Terry is the best Arizona prospect over Ben Matherin. And Matherin was obviously the offensive star there. Terry, out of the 15 players who played for Arizona, had the lowest usage rate on the team. So he was someone who, you know, the opposite of a high usage guy. Very much a role player who just, like, filled in the cracks in terms of his passing and his playmaking, defensively rangy athlete. Not really a reliable or confident spot-up shooter, but that would be his swing skill. If he can get that spot-up three down, I really like him. But in terms of Matherin, I'm just like, he's a little one-dimensional. Like, what else do you provide outside of shooting? I don't really trust him to create with the ball in his hands. I'm skeptical of his defense. Now, if you watch him and you think he's going to be a really good defender, then that's where, you know, you could be higher on him than I am in terms of your evaluation. But I kind of think Matherin is one-dimensional in his best skill being the shooting. It's good. It's not, like, amazingly good. Now, he does have good tools, though, because 
he's a sick athlete and he can really make an impact as a cutter finish above the rim. It's so fun to watch Matherin play too, because he gets so much lift on his jump shot. Uh, so he really elevates high every time he's attacking the opposing defense, whether he's 30 feet out or five feet out. But the more I watched Arizona this year, I just think, you know, I'm not sure if Matherin really has the all around versatility. I look for in a lottery pick. It's interesting. We had a uh, Corey Tullibo and Mark Schindler on in the last week. And we asked them the same question and one of them said Branham and one of them said Matherin. So there's, there's a little, little consensus there. We're all um, the same, you, yeah, there, there you go. There you go. You guys, are, you guys are uh, stealing takes, but anyways, um, Dalen Terry, uh, I want to, I want to know a little bit more about him because he's someone who at least like at the beginning of this process, like we, we were doing, I mean, we, we had you on during the tournament. We had a bunch of people on early on to talk draft. He was a name that really didn't come up and slowly, but surely you heard his name, like moving, moving, moving. And, and it was a little surprising. I think initially when it, it seemed like he was going to stay in the draft, because I think he was someone who was initially expected to go back to Arizona, maybe play um, to your point a, a very limited role a year ago, a, a more significant one uh, this time around. What, has changed in terms of his evaluation and is it just people sort of seeing like, Oh, here's this big skilled, really interesting point guard esque kind of prospect. Yeah. To me, like with the word connector being such a buzzword in draft evaluation and just in the league, like he just fits that really well. I think that if you're a team that's built around two stars, Dalen Terry's the perfect guy to like slot in next to him. When I did a mock draft for SB Nation where I, I did two mocks in one post, it was like, okay, this is what I think is going to happen, and this is what I would do. I had Dale and Terry going to the Rockets after they selected Paolo. Because I just feel like if you're going to build a team around Paolo and Jalen Green, you need guys like Dale and Terry who don't care if they have the ball in their hands, who can cover multiple defensive assignments, who had plus value as passers, who make quick decisions on the perimeter. Like, you think of passing as like, all right, the guy's got the ball in his hands, He's doing multiple dribble moves and then he's passing. But really, like when the ball gets swung around the perimeter, you got to play that 0.5 basketball of just making a quick decision. And I think Dalen Terry can do that. Now, I got to say that on the tape in Arizona, like defenses were begging him to shoot and he was record scratching quite a bit. But isn't that something you can improve? I think it is. And another thing all over the tape is like, Terry plays with so much joy and enthusiasm when he's on the court. Like he's got the crowd in the palm of his hand. He's like a warrior when he's in an arena. I think Madison square garden in particular would love him if the Knicks were somehow able to come away with him. And he's just, he's just someone you want to root for just based on his personality and uh, like his all around skill set. So that's why I like Terry. So I'm kind of curious about another guy on your, your board, which by the way, if we haven't mentioned your, your final big board came out today on Tuesday uh, for the draft. So if anybody hasn't read that yet, be sure to head to SB nation and check that out. But one guy that's still pretty high on your board is Patrick Baldwin jr. At 14. And I've seen some scenarios where people think that he might hit the second round at this point. I mean, he was, he was a really interesting case this year. He was a really highly regarded recruit coming into the year. Uh, and then went to uh, it was Milwaukee, correct? Was the the school or whatever? It, it, like it, to play for his dad, and then it just didn't it didn't work out. You know, like he had a really poor year, really poor shooting year, uh, and then went to the combine and quite frankly put up really bad anthro numbers. <laughs> so it it kind of, a lot of things have not been going in his favor. But the hype that got him to being a high 
you know, high school recruit was that he's lengthy. He's like a potential like swing forward, you know, that you can play uh, in a bunch of different positions. Potentially, I think he had more of a rep as a shooter coming out of high school and then just really did not do well in that regard in his one year in college. So what what leads you to still have him so high? Because I think there's maybe a world where, you know, if he hits like 30 or something and the Knicks feel the same way, they have the 42nd pick and they have like five second round picks next year. And there's no way they're going to use all of those. So they might use some of that ammo and try to move up for a guy like Patrick Baldwin if that's someone they feel strong about. Yeah, again, NBA GMs face real consequences for their opinions on these things. So they would be more risk averse than I would be. But I did a big feature on Patrick Baldwin Jr. I called him up, talked to him before the beginning of the year, or right at the start of the year. It was like the second game of the year. And they had just lost to like a directional Kentucky school, like Northern Kentucky or Eastern Kentucky. And I'm like, well, this doesn't seem like a good sign. And he didn't have that great of a game in that one. And two games later, he got hurt. And he was mostly in and out of the lineup the rest of the year. I was able to talk to him again at the draft combine. And I can still talk myself into Patrick Baldwin Jr. As long as you agree to totally throw out the college tape. Because that was just a really bad situation. Like most guys, when they go to play for their dads, like uh, Doug McDermott or RJ Hunter it's a situation where like they're going to be multi-year players. They're going to fit into a culture. They're not expected to be like one and done NBA guys with Patrick Baldwin. He was like going there to save his dad's job. (laughs) It's immediately like huge red flag. Like he could have had a, he had a starting spot on Duke next to Bancaro and Griffin waiting for him. He decided not to take it. He decided to play for his dad, which you can respect in some sense, but I think objectively it was a horrible decision. It didn't seem like a good decision to me at the time. It certainly does not seem any better after the year. But, you know, you talked about his combine. So, yeah, he he measured or he measured really well. He tested horribly. Six, ten and a half for Patrick Baldwin Jr. Nine, two standing reach. He had a he has a bigger standing reach than a lot of centers. So Patrick Baldwin Jr. is massive. That's my first takeaway. He is a large, large human. You know, size to play the center. I don't think he's going to play center in the league because I don't think he's a good enough vertical athlete, but he is as tall as one. And then I still believe in him as a shooter. I think he should be a 40% NBA three-point shooter. That's why I have him number 14 on my board. Uh, I think he, what, he hit 27% of his threes or something in college. College was just such a bad situation for him because the team had no talent. They had no guards, no shooting. Everyone was turning the ball over. Like, life could not have been harder for him at the college level. And then he was just never healthy because he dislocated his ankle. His second game of the year of his senior year of high school coming out of the Wisconsin area. He came back to play in U19s last summer with Jaden Ivey and Johnny Davis and all these guys. And I just wonder if he rushed back instead of like fully recovering from the injury because it was still the same ankle that gave him problems this year, eventually shut him down. Uh, the athletic limitations are, you know, perhaps tied to the ankle a little bit. When I asked him, you know, I sort of like left it open-ended for him. Like, Oh, you know, do you think you would have tested better without the ankle? He's like, well, I'm a lot better now. I don't want to use it as an excuse, but it's getting stronger every day. The ankle is so, hmm. you know, do what you will with that. But I just think like, Size and shooting are, like, really the most important things in the league outside of shot creation, probably. And he has so much size and so much shooting potential. So, like, could he be, like, a bigger Cameron Johnson? Everyone hated the Cam Johnson pick when the Suns took him, but it looks like a pretty good pick now, right? 
and Baldwin's bigger. I think he absolutely has similar type of shooting projection if he can realize it. And really, he might be one of these guys who it's best to give him a medical red shirt next year. I would say, dude, you've been pushing yourself to try to save your dad's job, to try to play for your country, just like get healthy and then see what you have in him after that because he's still going to be really tall. He should be a good shooter. And I think he's got a little bit of like in between game too in terms of both being able to facilitate out of the mid-range and be able to hit mid-range shots. He's someone who should dominate against zones, just flash to the middle on the zone, nice little pull-up. Uh, so that's sort of maybe my biggest hot take on the board is that I still believe in Patrick Baldwin Jr. You can read my feature on him. If you Google Patrick Baldwin Jr. SB Nation, it'll pop up. Talk to him a couple times for it. So I still believe, but also he's a very risky pick, right? Like it's tough to take a big health risk that early in the draft. So if he's there at 30, though, I'd love that for any team and the Knicks. All right, guys, uh, your least favorite words in the Locked On Knicks podcasting universe. That is it for this one with Ricky O'Donnell. But fear not, there is another part coming uh, later today uh, where we wrap stuff up with Ricky uh, in clips on the second round of the draft. Why is Oche Agbaji much lower than consensus, the second rounder that he thinks is most likely to eventually make an all-star team? And some early thoughts on what makes the 2023 draft oh so special. We'll get into that all later today with Ricky. Um, but until then, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Please uh, tune in for our live draft coverage tonight. That is really important. Um, I'll be going live right after the Knicks make their pick. Um, you can tune into the big Locked On Network show as well that I will certainly go on as long as the Knicks don't trade out of the draft for some reason. That, that, that would be interesting. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll plenty of draft coverage. So, so stay tuned with Locked On Knicks. Subscribe on YouTube. Rate, review, all that good stuff. And uh, we'll talk to you soon.